Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. I've noticed a number of peculiar incidents among the members of the student body, all having to do with rock and roll music. Now, if you don't think this song is the greatest song ever, I will fight you. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I celebrate radio. We'll discuss the medium's impact on the music industry and play our favorite radio-inspired tracks. And later on, Greg and I will review the new album from Peter Gabriel. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. No stars in the black night Looks like the sky fell down No sun in the daylight Looks like it Chain to the ground Chain to the ground The water says The exit soul If you want a way out That's U2, Silver and Gold. Yes, indeed, a big year for U2 in 2009 as far as Silver and Gold was concerned. Each year, Jim, Billboard magazine comes out with a chart of the biggest money makers in the music industry. And no surprise, U2 at the very top of that list with a major tour. How they compile this list is that they take all the revenue streams that are available to an artist these days, CD and digital sales, publishing royalties, streaming revenue, ringtones, and the biggest one of all, touring. U2 went on a major tour last year, so no surprise that they accumulated $109 million in revenue last year, touring being the biggest part of that. Way down in second place on the list, Bruce Springsteen with $58 million, and Madonna third with $47 million less than half the amount that U2 made. Filling out the top 10, ACDC, Britney Spears, Pink, the Jonas Brothers, Coldplay, Kenny Chesney, and Metallica. Surprising omissions on that list? No Black Eyed Peas, no Beyonce. Why? Because they didn't tour as much as some of Mm -hmm. these other bands. The revenue, all the money in the music industry right now is on these mega tours, the big arena tours, the big stadium acts. They're the ones making the money right now. If you don't go on the road, you don't make money. Always impressive, Greg, to see who's taking it to the bank. But there was something wrong with music in 2010 when the Jonas Brothers are on the same list as ACDC, Bruce Springsteen, and (laughs) U2. You know what I mean? Greg, we have another Billboard numbers-related story here. From time to time, we like to step back and look at what records are actually selling as based on the Billboard Top 200 Albums list compiled by Nielsen Soundscan from the point of purchase. That is the title track to Soldier of Love, the long-awaited 
decade-in-the-making new album from Charday. It has been sitting at number one on the Billboard 200 for three weeks now. Charday, and and that is how you pronounce her name. I know it is spelled S-A-D-E, but she pronounces it Charday. Was being positioned by the recording industry as the next Susan Boyle-like hit. Susan Boyle coming out of left field last year and and sending people to the record stores who hadn't bought CDs in perhaps 10 years, right? An older consumer who still liked to own physical product and was not downloading MP3s. The music industry is now hoping to find more of these artists to sell actual plastic shiny discs to as the industry gets smaller and smaller. It's important to note that the Billboard Top 200 these days is having numbers that years ago you would have been lucky to crack the top 50. Charday in week number three at number one sold 127,000 records. Debuting at number three the week that it was released, Johnny Cash's American Six Ain't No Grave sold 54,000 records. You, you really would have been lucky to be top 30 or top 50 with numbers like that. Now it's passing for some of the best-selling records in the country. Yeah, Jim, I think that the charts show us that besides the older demographic, Susan Boyle, by the way, is still in the top 10, still selling a lot of CDs. Besides the older demographic buying CDs, we also have country acts that are still selling consistently in physical product. You've still got Taylor Swift in that top 10. And Taylor Swift crosses over to another demographic that is still buying CDs, and that is younger listeners, pop fans, people who are still listening to radio, people who are not quite of college age, people who are still living at home and and buying CDs. And you see acts like the Black Eyed Peas, Lady Gaga, Lil Wayne, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, selling to this younger demographic. So basically, older listeners, pop listeners, country listeners, those are the people still buying physical product, and those are the ones dominating the Billboard charts. Janice said when she was just five years old, there was nothing happening at all. Every time she puts on the radio, there was nothing going down at all. Not at all. Then one fine morning, she puts on a New York station. You know, she don't believe what she heard at all. She started shaking to that fine, fine music. You know, her life was saved by rock and roll. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is the Velvet Underground with rock and roll. Greg, one of the best songs in rock history, one of the best songs ever about radio, this notion of this girl in Long Island, you know, (laughs) stuck in suburban doldrums, turns on the radio and hears these magical sounds from New York City and her life is changed forever. That was my story. Yeah. Growing up in Jersey City, New Jersey, turning on the New York radio station and my life was saved by rock and roll. Got that little transistor radio tucked under your pillow so your parents wouldn't hear you listening to the radio at 2 a.m. Absolutely. Everybody's got that story. We, We started thinking about the role that radio and specifically music radio plays in people's lives because there's been a lot of bad news for radio in in recent years. The industry's in big trouble. Total 2009 revenue down 18% to just over $16 billion, and advertising down 20% to $13.2 billion. Worst year in radio's history. You know, the medium is about a century old. Worst year ever. Yes, there's a lot of talk now that with this talk in Congress about possibly imposing a uh, performance fee 
on top of radio stations for playing music that a lot of stations will get out of the music business altogether. They'll go strictly to a talk radio format and stop playing songs because it isn't financially lucrative anymore. And that would be a sad, sad day because so many people have their lives invested in a music and a culture that was created by music playing on the radio. And it's not just radio in the United States that's in trouble. There's been a lot of controversy in the U.K. of late as the BBC announced that it might be closing down BBC Radio 6 Music, the Mm -hmm. music channel in the U.K. They may be reconsidering that, and all sorts of musicians are saying, don't do it. You're still seeing radio driving sales. Last year, as Congress was, was considering this Performance Fees Act, there was a lot of evidence being presented that that a song gets played on the radio, people get excited about it, and they Mm -hmm. go out and buy it. Still, to this day, even in the era of digital downloads, we thought it would be good to pay tribute to this medium that we're on, which, you know, must be said, we're really lucky. We play whatever we want. (laughs) We play what we're excited about and what what we think people shouldn't be listening. I mean, you know, it's rare in radio these days when it's such a constricted format. Obviously, we love this medium, but it's not just us. We're going to go through some of our choices of the best rock songs ever about radio, paying homage to this magical thing on the airwaves. When we do shows like this, we like to start with a coin toss. I tell you what, I'll take the AM band. You be the other side of the coin. You be FM. Okay. And the coin is in the air end. And it's FM. Greg Cott, you get to go first. You were talking about the magical allure of this medium, Jim, and I can't think of any more magical thing than a great radio station, a great DJ blasting out into the night all over America. That imagery that we got from American Graffiti, for example, with Wolfman Jack broadcasting to what it seemed like an entire city was tuned in to that border radio station that Wolfman Jack was broadcasting from, and he was literally orchestrating the night with the songs that he was playing. Well, people, uh, people think Internet invented the virtual community, <laughs> but all these people all over this town driving, listening at home, were a community because they were tied in with radio. And there was a lot of truth to, to the imagery in that movie because Wolfman Jack was, in fact, broadcasting from a station in Mexico in the 60s. And the reason he was able to be heard, not only in California, where American Graffiti was situated, but all over the United States was because of the powerful broadcasting signals that were emanating from those Mexican stations. There were no restrictions on the wattage on those stations. In the United States, 50,000 watts was the top of the line that you could go in terms of station power. In Mexico, you had stations with five, six, seven, eight times that wattage, and they could be heard all over the 50 states. I mean, it was a (laughs) remarkable situation where they were, where a station in Mexico could be heard more clearly, say, in Houston or in Atlanta or Kansas City or Chicago than some of the local stations because of the power of the signal. And in addition, it was not just the power of the signal, but what was being transmitted on that signal. You had these disc jockeys, like Wolfman Jack, who were basically able to play anything they wanted without restriction. So you heard everything from mariachi bands to underground soul music to the wildest rockabilly to gospel preachers on these airwaves. And it was a truly magical time for radio, a transformative time. And that time is celebrated by ZZ Top, three guys who know their radio, who knew their border radio, three Texas guys who understood the power of those transmissions from Mexico and how they influenced their musical taste. And they did it in a song called Heard It on the X. All those Mexican stations had call letters that began with the letter X. 
and hence the song Heard It on the X. They heard all this amazing music that they couldn't hear on domestic radio from these Mexican stations and Wolfman Jack in particular. Here's a celebration of that era. Heard It on the X from ZZ Top on Sound Opinions. Started on the X from ZZ Top in mid-70s vintage form on Sound Opinions, one of the great songs about radio. Jim, what do you got for us? Well, Greg, you know, listeners may wonder sometimes if we compare notes when we do shows like this. You know, I got a stack of CDs I want to play. You have a stack. We usually don't. We like to surprise each other. And it's just coincidence that we both decided to start in exactly the same place, which is Mexico. Mm -hmm. A different band from a different era, Wall of Voodoo, and their hit single, their only big hit single, Mexican Radio. But it's about the same thing. Stan Ridgway was a child of the punk movement, came up with New Wave, his band Wall of Voodoo, but remembered being a kid and listening to those Mexican AM radio stations, XERE and XEG and XERB, and hearing people like the inimitable Wolfman Jack, a.k.a. Robert Weston Smith. What a character. I mean, I remember being a kid in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, He ended his career, Wolfman Jack, as a disc jockey in New York, and, you know, he's playing stuff. That, that had nothing to do with, with me listening in the late 70s and early 80s. He's playing a lot of oldies by that time. But that, vo- that voice, that voice was amazing. That's Wolfman Jack. You know, and he would howl. It was incredible. It was so magical to listen to that. I think Stan Ridgway appreciated it. I've always loved that 
what an odd idea to combine synthesizer pop and Mexican mariachi music mm-hmm. and Ennio Morricone western soundtracks and this percussion that sounded as if it was a collection of stuff from the junkyard, which it was. Putting that together with, with digital synthesizers, what an odd idea. And that voice, you know, part Johnny Cash, part Carnival Barker, part alien space dude. You know, who is this guy? <laughs> anyway, same idea. Loving the Mexican Radio by Wall of Voodoo on Sound Opinions. I feel a hot wind on my shoulder And the touch of the world that is older I turn the switch and check the number I'll leave it on when and when I slumber I hear the rhythms of the music I buy the product and never use it I hear the talking of the DJ Mexican Radio from Wall of Voodoo, one of Jim DeRogatis' favorite songs about radio. Coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to play more of our favorite radio-inspired songs. And later on, Jim and I are going to review the new covers record by Peter Gabriel.
be on the hot line like every day. Making sure the DJ know what I want him to play. You know I got my top back and my feet low. Rocking my stand of shades and turning up my radio. Turn up my radio. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis here. And we are running down some of our favorite songs about a medium we both love, radio. Next up for me, Jim, is a song that came out in the mid-'80s, a celebration of a couple of things. First of all, it's a love song to a far-off woman, inaccessible in a lot of ways. Her voice is heard only on the radio. It's also a love song to that medium, to the radio that plays her music. The only place you could hear really cool, obscure, underground rock bands in the 80s was left of the dial. On those Mm. small community stations, those small college radio stations that were all over America, barely had any bandwidth, you know, 5 watts, 10 watts, some of them only broadcasting a few blocks. But those DJs had no restrictions on what they were playing. As commercial radio was becoming more corporatized, playlists were becoming more beholden to the interests of a few major record companies. You saw all this freedom at these smaller stations, uh, left of the dial, as this song says. It's the replacements, of course, from 1985. Paul Westerberg writing about this elusive woman, writing about the stations that played her music, and saying in the song, what side are you on? (laughs) Mm. You know, it was kind of like a line in the sand. I think a lot of people heard that song, and it was, you know, you were either with us or against us, because the twain shall never meet. These small groups, like the replacements, really didn't get their shot on those bigger stations. They had to be heard left of the dial, or they weren't going to be heard at all. It's the replacements with left of the dial from 1985 on Sound Opinions.
Left of the dial from The Replacements on Sound Opinions, one of my favorite songs about radio. Jim, what do you got next? Greg, I'm going to stay in the same era again. Absolutely wonderful choice, Left of the Dial by The Replacements. There was a feeling of revolution in the 1980s as college radio played this music that seemed like the greatest music in the world, and they were the only ones championing it. I did some college radio uh, down at WPRB in Princeton. I didn't go to Princeton, but I used to crash mm-hmm. the radio station because I had friends there. And and to be able to play the Minutemen and Husker Du and the replacements when no one else was playing them, it, it was a feeling of empowerment. It was a feeling of celebration. And the song that I think encapsulizes that best is, of course, Radio Free Europe by R.E.M. Now, it has often been said <laughs> that Michael Stipe was purely babbling through these lyrics. There are several discernible words that jump out of the mix, and of course there's the title to give us a clue. Mm -hmm. These were the days, this was their debut album, Murmur, which many critics called Mumble. You know, was Stipe actually saying anything? Was it the weird way that he sang and the baritone and the southern accent? Or was he just kind of mumbling, right? You don't know. This is not really a song about the American-funded overseas radio station, Radio Free Europe. I think it's a song about college radio and the power of radio and how they do it is more about the sound of the song than anything else. It's really just this mysterious force and at that point they were such an enigmatic band that they captured it perfectly. The intro of the song, they're shouting through a megaphone Mm -hmm. to get that idea of where we're going to tell you something important, you know, we're going to spread it out. I'm going to play the original version, the Hib Tone single, which to this day, uh, this was the self-financed debut single by R.E.M., they claim was the superior version to the one that they later recorded with Mitch Easter that appeared on Murmur. I say, you know, if the house is on fire, one of the three or four things (laughs) I'm going to grab is my copy of the R.E.M. Hib Tone single. I think there were 650 pressed on the first time. Here's Radio Free Europe by R.E.M. on Sound Opinions. Yeah. 
Radio Free Europe by R.E.M. Man, I love that song. Mr. Cott, what do you have for us next? Jim, there's a long tradition in rock and roll of, uh, you know, turning on that radio and having a song or a DJ in particular that uh, transforms your life. Think back to Chuck Berry's Roll Over Beethoven. We played the Velvet Underground's Rock and Roll. Her Life Was Saved by Rock and Roll. The Modern Lover's Roadrunner is in that tradition. Joy Division's Transmission. This song joins that tradition and is one of the best, I think, in that area. It's called Last Night a DJ Saved My Life. Oh, yeah. It is a great one-off song by a group called In Deep. It was later covered, uh, not so well, I might add, decades later by Mariah Carey and many other artists as well. But the original, I think, is still the definitive version. That great rolling bass line and the uh, duet vocals by a couple named Reggie and Rosemarie Ramsey. Rosemarie is driving around at night, and uh, she's lamenting this boyfriend that is dumping her. And then a song comes on the radio, and it changes her world. Suddenly, things brighten because of that song that's being played at that moment when she most needed it. It's a celebration of the power of radio, the power of a song being played on the radio at a particular moment in your life, and how you will never forget that moment because of that song at that moment being played by that DJ. It's Last Night a DJ Saved My Life by In Deep on Sound Opinions. Last night, a DJ saved my life by In Deep on Sound Opinions. 
Nice one, Greg. We are talking about the great rock songs about radio. You know, you can argue it's a little bit self-serving to write a song about radio if you are a <laughs> rock band that wants to get played on the radio. But I think the great ones succeed as much more than mere gimmickry. You were talking about the message of In Deep's song, hearing that voice in the night when you're all alone and really connecting. The moment I always connect with the song I'm about to play has nothing to do stylistically. Vince Scalza was this legendary DJ on W. WNEWFM in New York, and he happened to be helming the rock station that night when John Lennon was shot. Mm-hmm. And much like Walter Cronkite breaking down in tears when he had to announce the news of President Kennedy's death, Vince Gelza, who, who was so moved by this horrible experience that he, he later dropped out of radio for like 10 years. He's back on in New York now. You know, hearing that news from a friend, like he's telling yeah. you personally, and he's in tears, and then you're in tears, and you're bonded over this moment. What does that have to do with Donna Summer? I don't know, but I've always associated <laughs> Donna Summer's song on the radio with a moment like that. Mm. People don't think about the depth of her work sometimes. But this song begins with these striking words. Someone found a letter you wrote me on the radio. A letter on the radio? What is mm-hmm. she talking about, right? It must have fallen out of a hole in your, your overcoat. They never said your name, but I knew just who they meant. That feeling of this music is being played on this radio station and they have nothing to do with me, but they're talking directly to me. This mm-hmm. is about me. How can that be, right? I love this song. Giorgio Morota produced it. It was just Donna Summer and Morota in the studio. An incredible, wonderful example of synth pop and, and the disco beat. Here it is, Donna Summer's on the radio on Sound Opinions. That was Donna Summers on the radio on Sound Opinions. To make a comment on the air about radio or anything else we talk about on the show, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. You can email us at interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. 
We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more great songs about radio, plus a review of the new album from Peter Gabriel. Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are talking great rock songs about radio. And man, nothing beats driving on the Massachusetts State Turnpike late at night with the radio on. That, of course, is Roadrunner by the Modern Lovers. Greg, you're up next. What do you got? Yeah, Jim, we've been uh, celebrating radio primarily here. And uh, I think it's only fair that we uh, show the flip side of it before we turn to some other topics. There's a dark underbelly. Not on, not on public radio, but there is elsewhere. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons that uh, commercial radio has been in trouble the last few years is addressed in this particular song. It's Public Enemy with a song called How to Kill a Radio Consultant. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it may sound kind of dark and dire. They're not really talking about killing someone, but they are talking about a practice that in their eyes and ears was killing radio. This song came out in the early 90s when a revolution was happening in the inner city in terms of the kind of music that was coming out of it. Hip-hop was exploding. It was becoming the soundtrack of two generations of listeners. And you had major bands like N.W.A., like Public Enemy, artists like Ice-T and Ice Cube who are making important, groundbreaking records that weren't getting played on commercial radio. In fact, commercial radio was representing this spectrum of music by playing artists like Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer and Will Smith in his Fresh Prince guys and saying, this is the music of the inner city. This is about all we're going to touch here. Public Enemy is basically saying, you're listening to these consultants. You're listening to these people who are telling you how to program your station rather than listening to your community, which is telling you it wants to hear this music. In fact, Public Enemy was proven right. When the sound scan numbers finally started coming out, the official data of what people were actually buying in record stores as opposed to the estimates that had been made in prior decades, it was proven that hip-hop records were outselling virtually every other genre. Mm. NWA going to number one was a major moment in the transformation of the Billboard charts and in the transformation of the perception 
of whether or not commercial radio was really reflecting the interests of its audience. It's all addressed in this brilliant song, a critique of where commercial radio started going wrong in the early 90s, How to Kill a Radio Consultant by Public Enemy on Sound Opinions. Enemy with How to Kill a Radio Consultant on Sound Opinions, the dark side, the underbelly of radio. Jim, what is your final pick? I'm going to stay with the same sort of dark theme, Greg. Radio-friendly unit shifter (laughs) from In Utero by Nirvana, their final studio album. A lot of Nirvana fans think that Kurt Cobain in this song was railing against corporate radio and the music industry uh, as a whole, you know, MTV and the the corporate record companies, you know, the whole system that had made him a star. It's an angry song. In Utero is, as we've said when we've discussed the album, you know, a famously divided record. Mm -hmm. Half beautiful pop songs and half ferocious in-your-face noise rock. This is one of the noisier songs. I don't quite buy that it's strictly a diatribe against corporate rock radio or modern rock radio, as it was called at the time. Mm -hmm. I think all of Cobain's songs are about Kurt Cobain, you know? The, The key lines, what is what I need? What is wrong with me? What do I think I think? The last interview I did with him, which was just a couple of months before his suicide, you know, he was incredibly conflicted. He wanted the whole world to hear his songs. He Mm -hmm. was so proud of them. He wanted to share them with people. He hated looking out, however, and seeing fans out there who who were cheering Polly, a song about a rape. He he didn't like that some people liked his songs who were people he didn't like. You Mm -hmm. know, he was conflicted. I think this is a song about that. Radio makes us conflicted. You know, when you hear something on the radio that makes you angry, you want to throw your radio out the window, but it can also save your life. That's the magic of the medium. I think it's a good place to end. Here is Nirvana's radio-friendly unit shifter on Sound Opinions. Destroy. There's no more piracy. 
radio-friendly unit shifter on sound opinions. That was Nirvana. We're lucky, Greg, to be able to play a song like that on the radio. And that wraps up our discussion of great rock and roll songs about radio. These are the days of miracle and wonder. This is the long-distance call. The way the camera follows us in slow-mo. Way we look to a song, the way we look to a distant constellation that's dying in a corner of the sky. These are the days of miracle and wonder. Don't cry, baby, don't cry, don't cry. That is Peter Gabriel covering The Boy in the Bubble by Paul Simon on Sound Opinions, a track from Gabriel's eagerly awaited new album, Scratch My Back. Greg, a little bit of history on Peter Gabriel. You know, you can divide his career into several very distinct eras. He started out, of course, leading Genesis, 1969 to 1974. Genesis about to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Gabriel keeping his distance from those progressive rock dinosaurs, much to the dismay of many fans, for a long time now. He's not going to be there at the induction. Then he became a really revolutionary solo artist, and there were kind of two phases to that. You know, at first he was an art rocker, very much. He was part punk, and he was part weird art rocker. And then he became this unlikely pop success, you know, MTV with those string of hits from So and Us, and suddenly Gabriel was a star. Now there's the final act of a career. It's inevitable. He's 60 years old, and his output has slowed to a trickle. There have been only two proper studio albums in the last 18 years, among many other interesting projects, soundtracks, and he did the the WOMAD festival celebrating world beats. So when Gabriel puts out a record, and you've been waiting for it for a decade, it's big news, and all the Gabriel Mm. fans get excited. What is he giving us? Traditionally, the cover album, the collection of songs by other artists, is considered a move of artistic bankruptcy. They have nothing to say anymore. They're going to put together (laughs) other songs. But Gabriel is never so easily pegged. So Gabriel is covering some uh, baby boom heroes. There's David Bowie. There's Paul Simon. There's Neil Young. And some real cool, hip, up-and-coming rock acts. Regina Spector, Magnetic Fields, Bonnie Vare, Radiohead. And to put an extra twist on it, this guy who throughout his entire career, all those different phases, has been known as a rhythm master, started out as a drummer, takes out the drums and records with an orchestra. It's all strings and orchestral instruments. There are no rock and roll guitars and drums. Hmm, okay, what is Scratch My Back? We're going to play a track from it. We're going to come back and give our opinions. This is uh, Gabriel's version of the Arcade Fire's My Body is a Cage on Sound Opinions. My body is a cage That keeps me from dancing with the one I love a man holds the key My body is a cage That keeps me from dancing With the one I love But my mind holds the key I'm standing Self-doubt It's a hollow play 
That's My Body is a Cage. The Arcade Fire song is covered by Peter Gabriel on his new record, Scratch My Back, as heard here on Sound Opinions. Immense respect for Peter Gabriel. He has had an amazing career straddling both the commercial side and the art rock side, Jim. He's done this brilliant balancing act. You also illustrated, though, that he's uh, only released a couple of records in the last couple of decades, and he spends a lot of time, it seems to me, in the studio tinkering with these records to the point where I think he loses some of the original impetus behind these uh, well-thought-out ideas. The idea of covering not particularly well-known songs by some of his favorite artists is a really noble one. I think he wanted to focus in on the melodies and the lyrics, strip everything else away, give John Metcalf of Derrida Column the job of orchestrating these things in really kind of stripped-down fashion and focus on the songwriting. But I think over the course of this record, the idea loses steam. The fact that there is so little variety in terms of the tempos, in terms of the textures, in terms of the dynamic surprises. It moves from one slow-moving track to another one. If you like what you just heard with that version of My Body is a Cage by Arcade Fire, guess what? You're going to get ten other songs just <laughs> like it on this record. I think it's a, it's a well-intentioned dud. And I would say oh. it's a trash it record for Peter Gabriel. Oh, you're stabbing me through the heart. Buy it, burn it, trash it. You're trashing I it. I am trashing it. I'm saying it's a buy it record, Greg. Peter Gabriel can do no wrong, according to me. That voice, it's getting older. It's getting scratchier. If anything, it has more character and passion than ever. To say that this is all in one tempo and one mood is to go to a chamber music performance and criticize them for not having enough timpani. All right? <laughs> he, he made a mood record. Nobody would expect this record from Gabriel, and that's still really brave. He's never been concerned about the music, the product that Peter Gabriel incorporated should be producing, and, and I think he deserves praise for that, not your scorn and derision. I don't know what <laughs> record or what artist you were reviewing. I say buy it. What do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to be talking to Mickey Lee, who's going to be in the studio describing what it was like growing up as the brother of Joey Ramone. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. It may surprise our listeners that our Ace production team are actually huge fans of that radio giant, Howard Stern. Jason Saldana is sort of the Fred Norris of the team. Robin Lynn is, of course, the Robin Quivers. And our fearless leader and executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia, is kind of our own Baba Booey. I hate to think the way it took me down to a burning rage I wrote 
On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hi, my name is Carol from Chicago. This is in response to Jim and Greg's review of Bill Scott Heron. You know, I'm not a huge Bill Scott Heron fan, but the song that you played I thought was amazing. Long ago, the clock washed midnight away, bringing the dawn, bringing the dawn, bringing the dawn. Oh, God, I must be dreaming. And I'm upset at kind of the glib dismissiveness I felt that you guys approached his work with. You know, you don't have to be commenting on 9-11 to say something incredibly important or deep. And artists change and grow over life, and this man's life has been a deep and a, and a difficult one, and that's what I heard in his song and his words. should have been asleep when I turned the stack of records over and over so I wouldn't be up by myself. Where did the night go? You know, I really like your guys' show, but I hope that you're going to try to avoid being so narrow. Thanks. Bye. Dear baby, how are you? Oh, this is Charlie from Nashville. I'm uh, pleased to be hearing your show. It's quite good. I've been loving all the really great punk stuff you've been doing. And uh, I'm calling about the uh, critique of the Johnny Cash American series. I guess there really is no accounting for taste. You know, I think these recordings, you know, they move me to tears. Wonderful, it's amazing that they exist, let alone that I could go out and buy them. It's a long and a dusty road, a hard and a heavy load, and the folks that I meet ain't always kind. Some are bad, some are good, some have done the best they could, and some have tried to ease my troubled mind. And I can't help but wonder where I'm bound, where I'm bound. Can't help but wonder where I'm bound. I was just uh, shocked that the one gentleman uh, critiquing it would give it a uh, negative view. Someone who listens to music, just the most jaded academic drivel I've ever heard. It sounded like a adolescent on the internet. So anyway... Johnny Cash rocks the best. Thanks a lot. Jim and Greg, this is Greg Bouchard from uh, your hometown, Chicago. I was listening to the show, and uh, you were talking about the cut you'd have to take with you on a desert island by Nico, recording Jackson Brown's uh, wonderful introspective song about these days. And frankly, I don't understand where you guys are coming from. I can't make any sense out of this. You quoted somebody saying her voice sounded like a cello waking in the morning. The only way it sounds like a cello in the morning is if the cello is a three-pack-a-day smoker and it hasn't slept all night. like a cross between Count Chocula and um, the actress of uh, Ivan to be alone. I mean, come on. Do you guys have any tone pitch, anything? 
It was terrible. Have a good day. I stopped my rambling. I don't do too much gambling these days. These days. These days I seem to think about how all the changes came about my way. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.